That walk-in wakes you up, doesn't it? I got here about uh, 6.30 this morning and walked across the parking lot and I thought, I'm going to die. So, cold out there. Um, While we're way into our winter series entitled Intentional Life, and in this series we've covered some, I think, incredibly important concepts if we're going to live our life on purpose for uh, Jesus Christ. It all begins when we take ownership of our own spiritual development when we take responsibility, uh, at least in what we can do in our part, of becoming Christ-like. Uh, for the last four weeks, we've been having a seminar here every Wednesday at the church that are, that's focusing us in on what it means to be an intentional disciple. We're looking at how to study the Bible and how to pray. And last week, we looked at spiritual disciplines. This next week, we look at uh, spiritual accountability. And so it's really important, if we're going to be intentional about our walk in Christ, that we begin to own our own spiritual formation. In conjunction with that, if we're going to be intentional, then we're going to take serious the mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to live our lives out loud for him, to be ones who are concerned not only with our own soul's well-being, but with the souls of those around us and how how they're doing. We're going to be concerned with them also. um, And we're going to move from having this mindset that I'm a consumer and the church is here to serve me To I'm a contributor. I'm here to serve the cause of Christ. And that becomes a prevailing way of doing your Christian experience. And, and the cool thing about all this is that we're not in this alone. We're in this with other members of the body. Aaron talked on this last week. Uh, in, in, our, in our our lives, we have a lot of different kind of relationships going on. And you are called to shepherd some people in your life, aren't you? You're over them, and you're, you're to look out for their soul's well-being and be concerned about how they're doing and their spiritual formation. You're called at some points to be a student. Someone's going to shepherd you, so to speak, and you're to learn and have humility and openness and, 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 and you know, be willing to address issues that are, are going on in your life so you become more like Christ. And then you walk alongside others in this thing called faith. Uh, it's the Jonathan-David relationship. It's the, it's the Peter Silas, Paul Silas, whatever relationship, you know. Um, I should say Paul Barnabas relationship, all right? You've got others that God's calling you to do life uh, with. And so we've gained thus far some real, I think, understanding of what it means to be intentional in our walk in Christ. This morning, we're going to look at our hearts and see that we need to be intentionally looking at our heart's motivation because when it comes to things of Jesus, motivation always matters tremendously. Um, What is behind what we do is incredibly important. The why we do what we do is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, The founder of our denomination knew this. The founder of our denomination is John Wesley. And he had a heart to reach the lost. And he was willing to go into the coal mines and open fields and preach the message of Jesus to people who others thought would never come to Jesus Christ. And big time awakening happened. And um, John Wesley needed to, 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 to minister to this large throngs of people that were coming to him. So he formed a ministerial association, a bunch of lay uh, uh, pastors, and, and he had like 600 of them going on at one time. And he would, he would have these accountability groups, these holy club groups, so to speak, and they would ask each other this important question. How is it with your soul? He always asked that question, how is it with your soul? And what Wesley was getting at is, how is your heart doing? How is it going where nobody knows what's going on but you and the Lord? 
How are you doing down there in the recesses of your heart? Because uh, if you're going to minister uh, adequately, Wesley knew this, it's going to have to be done with the right kind of heart, the right kind of motivation. And, and so I want to begin with this introductory question today. You're already writing it down. How is it with your soul? How are you doing today? How is it where nobody else can see? How's your motivation? How is it with your soul? This past year, I've done a bunch of research on, um, on health. Um, selfishly speaking, uh, I, I wanted to figure out some issues in my own life. Interestingly, as I read books, multiple books on this subject matter, uh, I read one book by a guy named Dr. Ornish, Reversing Heart Disease. It's old school. It's from about 20 years ago. Um, uh, but this medical person that done thorough research on the issues of health came up with some startling conclusions. Uh, diet and exercise really do matter. But what he says matters most is how is your soul doing? How are you doing spiritually? Now, he's not necessarily a born-again Christian. He had a lot of new age in his book. But if you look beyond that, you begin to realize you can't be a healthy person if you don't address the soul side of your being. Because out of that uh, comes a lot of stress and all those kinds of things which are really an enemy uh, to health. Uh, I went in for my one-year checkup. I, I mentioned this, I think, a couple weeks ago. Or maybe I mentioned it on Wednesday night. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and, and they were thrilled with my health status from this standpoint. I'm a lot lighter than I was a year ago. And evidently, I'm eating right and all that. And so this nurse practitioner I'm talking to said, okay, you're evidently exercising. You start the diet thing down. She didn't even talk to me about that. She said, How, how's it going with your heart? I thought, what? You're like a medical person. It, but these heart people are, are beginning to figure something out. It's a lot of the issues that we have health-wise stem from what? Stress and our emotional well-being and our, our, our soul's health. So this question, how is it with your soul, to me is incredibly, incredibly important to address in our lives. So if you're serious about following Jesus Christ, you're frequently going to ask yourself this question, how am I doing in my soul? How am I doing here where nobody else can see? How's my heart of hearts? What's my motivation? There's two big benefits to asking this question and letting it ruminate in your soul. First of all, get this. This is really important. Proper self-examination leading to self-awareness it opens windows of your soul to the grace of Jesus Christ. So proper self-examination leading to proper self-awareness opens windows of your soul to the grace of Jesus. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with what? Sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That statement, think of yourself with, with, with this uh, sober judgment, implies see yourself as you truly are. Who are you? See yourself that way. Because when we see who we really are, then we can open up ourselves to what God wants to do in our lives. It's like we open up the window of our soul to the empowerment of God for him to come in and do some real work in our lives. But we really have to what? Be honest. And we have to open ourselves up to the Lord Jesus Christ. See it this way. Maybe this will help you see it. See it this way. 
I don't know about you, when I cook every now and then, I smoke up the house. Anybody else ever do that? It's called burning your food because I'm not very attentive. And all of a sudden, you get this house full of smoke, right? What do you do when you have a house full of smoke? You open up a window. And praise God, this is the only advantage to living in South Dakota. There's always a wind. Amen? So if you open up the window in South Dakota, what happens to your house? It airs out extraordinarily fast. In fact, if you have papers on the table, usually they blow all over. You know what I mean, right? Because we live where? In South Dakota, where it's always windy. You never say, it's windy out there in South Dakota. You say, it's not windy today. You never say the other, because it's always windy here. Now, get this. When you do some real, honest self-examination, what, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to see the smoke in your soul. You're supposed to see that place where, you know what? You're a little bit stinky. You're, maybe there's some sin that's been getting after you a little bit. Maybe there's just some selfishness there, um, whatever. But there's some smoke. And you go, oh. Then what, what you do is you open up your soul to Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, Holy Spirit, wash through me and get rid of this stuff. And tell you what, the Holy Spirit's like a South Dakota wind. He'll rush right in. And he'll address those issues in your life. And he'll clean you up. This is one of the big benefits of asking yourself frequently, how is it with my soul? And that's great. And that's transformative. And that's really important. In fact, for some of you, this is the only thing you're going to take away from the message this morning. That's okay. The self-examination and, and becoming open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you is incredibly important because then your heart gets set right before the Lord. A second benefit is this, though, and this is point two in your note-taking guide. The right heart motivation is critical, so there is authenticity and the right response towards others in your life so that you're an authentic follower of Jesus Christ and you have a right response towards others in your life. This asking how it is with your soul is intended to address that side of your spiritual walk also. You know, we as God's people are called to be aware and care about those around us. We're to care about those in proximity to us. When the Apostle Paul came to Athens, he was aware of all the false idols. He saw all the false idols in that area. And he was aware of the Athenians' um, spiritual pursuits and how wrong it was. And he cared about them. And he had the right heart motivation. He, he loved God. Paul loved God. He, he was concerned about these Athenian people. And so he could authentically minister to them uh, in a way in which, you know, it was... It was, it was received, sort of, okay? You know the story. We talked about it here a couple weeks ago. If, uh, our heart motivation matters tremendously because if we have a heart that's right towards God, then we'll be authentic folk. And people nowadays, they want authenticity. Do you realize that? They want authenticity probably more than anything. And if you're going to have a right response towards others, you've got to be having the window of your soul open to Jesus frequently. And there's got to be this ongoing cleansing and, and ongoing uh, you know, relationship going on with Christ where, where your heart is just in a good place. Then you're going to have the right kind of response towards others. And you know the right kind of response towards others is always this, one of intentional love. 
And I want to talk with you on that for a few moments here. Jesus taught us in his word uh, to us in, all throughout the New Testament that the way we're to respond to others is with this intentional love. But you can't respond to others with this intentional love unless you're opening the window of your soul right up to God and letting him do a deep transformative work inside of you. Amen? But if we're, if we're doing this, then what, what should be going on is this, this, this kind of radical changing of how you interact with other people. And the right response to other folk is always one of intentional love, loving them on purpose in spite of who they are. So you are called to have a radical love response to others, even those who hate you. Listen to what Christ says in Luke chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, radical love, this response that we're to have towards others, because we're asking frequently, how is it with my soul, is often opposite to that which is received. You don't return kind for kind as a follower of Jesus Christ. You respond to others because of what Christ is doing in you. Amen? Not because what others do to you. You respond because of what Christ is doing in you. And, 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 and in this teaching here I just read to you, there's this this response opposite thing going on here that Jesus talks about. There's this mistreatment and then this response that's opposite to the mistreatment. For instance, Jesus says if someone hates you, what do you do? You do good to them. They mean to harm you. They mean to abuse you. What do you do? Good in return because Jesus is in you. Someone curses you, what do you do? You bless them. The opposite of cursing is what? Blessing. Are you seeing this? We're to have this radical love that does oftentimes the opposite to what it's received. If you're mistreated, you pray for such ones. Mistreatment then is met not with like mistreatment. It's met with what? Prayer. Prayer. It's totally opposite. Slapped you on one cheek. Someone slapped you on one cheek. What do you do? Do you respond violently back and slap them? No. You turn what? The other cheek. So violence is met with what? Peace. No physical resistance. The opposite is given back. Someone takes your coat. What do you give to them? Your shirt also. So taking greediness is met with what? Generosity. You see the opposite here? See what's going on here? Everything about, 
intentional love in Jesus Christ, everything about really asking the question, how is it in my soul? You know, not only are you being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, but you're opening up the window of your soul to the, to the you know, filling of the Holy Spirit and that work of grace that God wants to do in you. But you're also saying, I'm walking authentically with my God and I'm going to respond differently than, than people are treating me because Christ is in me and I'm not governed by the circumstances that are coming at me. I'm governed by the Lord that is in me. You see the difference? And so you often meet with, with, with what, what's given to you, the behavior that's given to you, you meet it opposite because you have this radical love going on in you that's fueled by Jesus Christ. So, you know, in general, take what is yours. Is, you know, if Jesus said, they take what is yours, just don't demand it back. So, so he said, in the world there's going to be takers, but if you're following me, you're going to be one that's a giver, a one that let, lets go. Christianity became a huge movement, I think, in our world because scripture like this was actually lived out that we talked about today. Those who were ill-treated refused to return in kind the treatment that they received. Now, there have been times when evidently this is not the case. The Crusades is, is, is a case in point. That's kind of a, 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 a not a, a good moment in the history of Christianity. But by and large... By and large, the Christian movement has been fueled on people who understood and demonstrated this kind of radical love. It, became with Jesus, it came with Jesus Christ, first of all. So Jesus Christ comes full of grace and truth, right? He comes the exact representation of God. He comes God incarnate. I mean, if that's not cool enough, I don't know, you know, uh, what would be, right? He comes and, and is God among his creation. But the, the movement of Christianity got on steroids Basically, when Christ was crucified, he was ill-treated, he was abused, he was hated on, he was despised, he was rejected, he was spit on. And how did he respond? With what? Forgiveness and love. His response was opposite that which he received. And he began a movement that, that... since that time has grown incredibly. I mean, his, his little misfit band of followers, they, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they too, like their master, like their Lord, they returned love oftentimes when they were hated on. And they responded opposite often to the way they were treated. And I tell you what, Christianity has grown to influence, I mean, just billions of people from the time of Christ's crucifixion to now. Of course, this influence doesn't mean that everybody's been converted, but there's been this massive influence of the Christian faith. In fact, we have a little video. Sometimes it's helpful just to watch a video of the spread of the influence of Christianity. So just watch this for a moment.
when you uh, look at it that way, it's kind of incredible to think that in the Middle East, this guy that walked in the desert basically gave his life for our sins, right? And it spread all over the world. It's just an incredible move uh, 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 of God. And it's been fueled by people who have been radically dedicated to following Christ's example, who love in spite of being mistreated, who had the right heart motivation towards others. And, and along the way, the, the spread of Christianity, like we just looked at in this video, was fueled by followers who took Jesus' teaching uh, to heart that we read this morning. I, I love one story. I'm going to show you just one story. It's the story of Polycarp. I, I love his name, first of all, right? Polycarp. That's quite a name. Some of you should name your kids Polycarp. Yeah. It'd be unique, anyway. And that seems to be the goal sometimes of names now to be unique. So there you go. Polycarp's very unique. Um, um, anyway, he was a disciple of the um, Apostle John. So he has connections all the way back to the beginning of the church. He was bishop over Smyrna. I'm going to pick his story up when he's in his 80s. He's in his 80s now, Okay. And um, what happened was a group of Christians had been martyred in the arena um, on account of their faith. Polycarp was ministering in Rome and and, in that area and and Smyrna and that stuff. And he was uh, told, you need to flee, you need to get out of here. And uh, he refused to leave Rome and he was found by soldiers. And uh, instead of fleeing from the soldiers, he said, God's will be done. God's will be done. And here's the interesting thing. Now, these soldiers, you've got to understand, they came to arrest Polycarp, bring him to the arena, and make a spectacle of him, okay? And, and, and he probably would die. They knew that. So you know what Polycarp does? He says, you guys, you're probably hungry, aren't you? <laughs> so he tells the folks there, bring them some food. These guys are hungry. Would you do that? Would you think of your enemies and their hunger? Would that even be on your mind? If they're arresting you and you knew that your fate probably was one of some kind of horrendous death in the arena. So he feeds these guys. And he says, I, I would like to pray for one hour. I just have one request. And they looked at him and thought, you're so fearless. How can we refuse your request? So like any good saint of old, he prayed for two hours instead of one hour. And he prayed for the church and for the Christians he knew. And then he was brought into the stadium. And because of his age... At this point, he's an old man. The proconsul gave him a chance to live. Uh, all he had to do was swear by Caesar and say this, take away the atheists. Now, in that time, you were an atheist if you didn't worship the Greek and Roman gods, okay? So he had to, he had to, uh, he had to say, take away the atheists, those who do not believe in the Roman and Greek gods. In other words, the Christians. Take them away. He had to, he had to renounce his faith. He looked at this roaring crowd and gestured at them and said, nah, you need to take these atheists away. That's quite a brave statement to make. The bro council continued, said, swear and I'll let you go. Just reproach Christ. No big deal. To which Polycarp replied, listen to this, 86 years now I've served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? After more exchanges and threats of harm, they decided to burn Polycarp to death. Here's what he prayed. O Lord Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and the powers and all creation of the whole race of the righteous who live before you. I bless you that you consider me worthy of this day and hour to receive a part in the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ for the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and of body, in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. Among them may I be welcomed before you today, listen to this now, by a fat and acceptable sacrifice, just as you previously prepared and made known and you fulfilled the deceitless and true God. Because of this and for all things, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom be glory to you with him and the Holy Spirit both now and for ages to come. Amen. So this is how he prayed before they put him on a pile of timbers to burn him to death. And he understood, I think, Polycarp understood something. 1 Peter 1.7 says this, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, a greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He understood that scripture. He understood that this had come for him to bring glory to Jesus Christ. You see, he didn't hate those who were inflicting on him this pain. He didn't hate those who hated him. He saw the bigger story that God was telling here. He understood that God was up to something, and he intentionally loved those around him who hated him. He fed the soldiers. And he prayed that I would be an acceptable sacrifice before you, God. He understood this was all for you, Jesus, that glory would be made known in your name. So they put him on top of the timbers, right, to burn this guy to death. He just wouldn't take, it wouldn't burn him. It's said that the, the, the flames actually arched around him. So frustrated that the fire wasn't burning this guy to death, they told the executioner, just stab him, let's get it done. So the guy just stabbed Polycarp, and his blood came out, they said, in such a, a large amount that it put all the fire out, and he, he died that way. And, and it was such, a, such a, um, a profound death that it just, it just affected everyone who saw it and, and brought him uh, uh, to the knowledge of Christ. See, when we get what God has really done for us, it's a game changer, isn't it? We look at ourselves and others tremendously differently. We can't expect those that don't know Jesus to act like Jesus. We got to quit doing that. But those of us who know Jesus, we better act like Jesus. Because greater is he who is in us than he was in the world. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. You and I are called to be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We are to treat them with the radical, intentional love of Jesus Christ. So I share this message with you, and some of you are tuning me out. I know you are, because it's such a big message. It's so ideal. It seems so idealistic. How do we intentionally love like this? How, how do we actually treat others um, with a truly intentional kind of love? Let, let, let's begin simply. Let me just give you maybe four simple starting points to really begin to treat others, right, with the right response of intentional love. Now, I'm still on that point number two of how is it with my soul. If my soul's doing okay in God and I'm being transformed from the inside out, then I'm going to treat others differently in spite of how they treat me, right? I'm going to treat them like Christ would treat them. So here, here's some simple ways to do that. One, pray. Pray for those who need God around you. Don't pray for those you like. Pray for those around you who need God, even if you don't like them. Your first response should be to pray. Amen? 
So if someone misuses you, if some family member abuses you, if some neighbor is nasty to you, if some customer reams you out, if you go to Walmart and somebody pushes their shopping cart into you or whatever be the case, instead of getting irritated and ornery, what do you do? Pray for them, right? Because we're intentional in Jesus. Secondly, ask God to grace you with understanding and compassion for them. Ask him to begin to open your eyes to see what they're going through and what their life is like. Which brings us right to point number three. Truly begin to listen to their life stories. Truly begin to listen to people's life stories around you. I hate stereotyping. We do that all the time. We vilify large segments of our culture by race, by age, by occupation, whatever. We stereotype people all the time. And then we vilify people at large. It was just totally wrong. I know that because my generation, I get vilified all the time because I'm what? I'm a white male. I'm 60 years old. I'm bad. Right? Think about it. And I'm told all the time, I think this, I think this, I think that. I do not. I don't think any of those things. That doesn't acknowledge my life story and what God is doing in me and when I grew up, right? And what we have to begin to do brothers and sisters in Jesus, is we have to begin to listen to people's life stories. Not look at what they look like or or what gender they are or whatever. You know what I'm saying? We have to begin to really listen to their life stories and say, okay, God, help me to relate to them compassionately and then always lead to Jesus. Always lead to Jesus. So this is how you start having this intentional love. So get this. How is it with your soul? God wants to Take that and blow that smoke right out of your soul. And if, if you go through some, some real self-examination leading to self-awareness, you're going to have those moments where the Holy Spirit will just come in you, wash over you, and the window of your soul is open to what God wants to do, and you're going to have this grace. Then the second part of this, how is it with your soul, has to do with my heart motivation towards others. Am I authentic? Am I having the right response to them? And our response to others is always supposed to be what? One of intentional love. A radical love in Christ in spite of how I'm being treated. When we begin to have this happen, we're living, I think, this intentional life from the heart out as we're supposed to live.